You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Let's get into our science and technology news for the week. There's been quite a bit of controversy about scientists sending a message, a radio message, to a nearby star. It's called Lighten's Star, it's or G, uh, GJ273. It's a red dwarf about 12.4 light years away in the Canis Minor constellation. So a relatively close object mm-hmm. to be uh, beaming off a message. It's going to travel at the speed of light. So it'll take 25 years to get there. Yep. yep. And Well, no, in fact, it's going to take 12.4 because it's only 12.4 light years oh, sorry, away. Oh, sorry. I thought it was 25 so years. Yeah, there you so, go. Yep. so 25-year round trip. Oh, uh, yes. Yep. They've sent this message. It was done by the Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence International Organization, so that's METI, which is kind of an offshoot of SETI. In doing this, they've acknowledged that the odds of getting a reply are pretty remote. Mm -hmm. In the message, they have included information about uh, maths and geometry, as well as the description of how radio waves work and a tutorial about how we keep time here on Earth. Mm -hmm. The reason why they've included the tutorial is because they've actually set a date for the return signal. So okay. this is when we, we all listen out for, and it's on the 21st of June, 2043. This is 25 years time. Mm-hmm. 12, 12, and, 12 years. and a half to get out there, and then 12, 12 and a half to get back. Yep. That's assuming they can understand it, that they pick it up, mm-hmm. understand it, and go, oh yeah, we'll, we'll send it back right on that day. Mm-hmm. The 21st of June, 2043, put it in your diary <laughs> uh, or in your calendar, and uh, that's when we may get a, a response, or may not. But it's, it's attracted a bit of controversy. There are people like Stephen Hawking, the British scientist, who's kind of said, well... Don't advertise you know, their position. Exactly. <laughs> if you were walking around in a jungle or out in the, you know, the veldt in, in Africa somewhere, do you start screaming that you're here? Hey, mm-hmm. I'm here, I'm here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when you're alone in the forest and thereby alerting all the tigers, lions, bears and other um, mm-hmm. carnivorous animals mm-hmm. that may want to come and gobble you up. Sure. That's the, uh, the, the criticism by some in the science community for doing this. And in fact, even SETI, the organisation that METI emerged from, have sort of come out and said that they're against it. There's a rift in the, uh, in the company. Yeah, there so. is a bit. Yeah, 98% of astronomers and SETI researchers think that METI is potentially dangerous and not a good idea. That's Dan Wertheimer, who's the chief, chief scientist at SETI. Yeah, a bit of controversy about that. You might want to listen out. They, they beamed it from a radio telescope in Tromsø in Norway last month. It took about eight hours over a couple of days to send out that message. So we may be hearing back from Lighten's star, that red dwarf. And if we do hear back, it uh, will be in 2043. It kind of uh, reminds me of when people talk about inventing time travel and they say, well, I'm the inventor of time travel. I'm going to prove it by walking in this door right now. (laughs) And then point to the door. And if it doesn't work, then you haven't invented it. If you point to the door and someone yourself from using the future walks in, that's it. So So if we don't hear anything on the 20th, 1st of June 2043 it doesn't mean there isn't ET That's right. we just went to the wrong place people who did this who sent off this signal they do acknowledge that they'll very likely need to ping many many more stars before we get a response the reason why they chose that object incidentally is it has been picked up as a place that has a, a planet which is in the Goldilocks zone mm-hmm. very like Earth so they're saying that of all the places they know that are close by where they can get a signal back potentially within a human lifetime it's on the short list and so that's why they've sent it it's an incredibly place. short amount of time. I mean, uh, would that, but if there is a potential civilization, would they actually be listening? Would they even know how to listen? Or would that civilization maybe have existed many, many, millions of years? It's like when they sent ago. off the, yeah. the Voyager spacecraft, which have actually gone into interstellar space. They did the grand, well, Voyager 2 did the grand tour. So Jupiter, Saturn, 
Uranus Neptune. Both of those probes carried a gold record mm. with a whole lot of stuff about the, the you know sounds of the earth, yeah. languages, instructions about where we were, mm-hmm. and samples like whale songs and all that sort of stuff on this gold record. And I think they actually included a record player. Oh, right. So okay. that if you were in outer space and you yeah. found this uh, this Voyager spacecraft coming towards you, that you could somehow grab it it's, and, it's uh, and then grab the record and play it. You'd need vibrations, though, like air, for example. Well, you'd have to take it back to your planet. Yeah. So there's a lot of assumptions that are made <laughs> yeah. with any of these things. Moving on with the news, the Mars 2020 mission is uh, is the next rover, big, large, nuclear-powered rover that's going to be sent to Mars. It's happening on in the year 2020, so three years away. And they're actually looking at different target locations so there's a few. There's a short list of three. One is Gusev Crater, where the Spirit rover. If you remember back to Spirit and Opportunity, Opportunity is still there doing science on Mars. It's solar powered. I think it arrived back in, in 2004, as did its sister craft the Spirit rover. Spirit unfortunately died. It had problems mm-hmm. with its wheels and it did about six or seven years of really good science mm-hmm. driving around in Gusev Crater and it climbed up the Columbia Hills and it was dragging a wheel and it actually uncovered this really white, almost like pure silica. Mm-hmm. And that's believed to be a sign of an ancient hot spring in the area. Oh, yes. So it's actually a, one of the shortlists because they know that there is the sign of a hot spring there. Mm-hmm. Hot springs are places where microbes can develop because there's, oh, there's natural, and, yeah. and there's natural as a heat source mm-hmm. from underground but they don't want to go back to because they've already been there with yeah. spirit they'd rather go to a new place so Jezebel is a crater which is uh, favoured by some scientists there is actually one other location which they're looking at as well Jezebel is a place where they, they reckon they might find these ancient hot spring sites and then that's a good place to look for microbes mm. the other place is northeast Sirtis which is another area, another like a completely different location on Mars. At this stage, it looks like it could be Jezero Crater for Mars 2020. One of the reasons is that some of the oldest signs of life that have ever been found on Earth have actually been found in the Pilbara area of Western Australia. And there's a New Zealand scientist, Professor Kathy Campbell, who's a hot springs expert. She's been educated in California. She's now at the University of Auckland. And she's actually just received a science award over there of nearly a million dollars to send a drilling rig back to that Pilbara location mm-hmm. and dig down into this area to find out the stuff that's exposed that they've seen on the surface has been sort of weathered and, and, and been altered mm-hmm. by erosion over time. When they go back with this drilling rig, they're able to get down and see unaffected rocks mm. from below, and that's where they're looking for the sort of early signs of life. So where there's hot springs on Earth, they actually find the telltales of life in these locations, in Western Australia, for example, in, in the Pilbara. 3.48 billion years is the age, and it's some of the oldest life that's been found or suggested mm. to have been in existence on Earth. And so they're thinking that a good comparison to make on Mars is to look at rocks that are about the same age, three and a half billion years old. And that's what they're looking to find at this Jezebel crater. The area over in the Pilbara is called the Dresser Formation. And uh, using that Marsden grant, which is a New Zealand science award, uh, it's nearly a million dollars. They're sending a, a rig back and they're going to be looking for signs of life. Apparently, Dr. Kathy Campbell, the astrobiologist at the University of Auckland, she's actually helping to advise NASA in selecting the site for the Mars 2020 right. lander. And so one of, the pla- one of the things that they're saying is that hot springs or where there's likely to have been geothermal sites mm-hmm. is a really good place to look for microbes because they would have had an energy source and they would have had some heat to get going at the same time as life got going on earth 
Now, in Germany, we talk a bit about the Internet of Things and with some of the problems with the Internet of Things is they tend to be very insecure. They don't have any password protections built into them and they can wind up... They could be listing devices. Yeah, they could be listing devices. Yeah, exactly. German legislators and and, and technocrats have been suggesting that a lot of kids' smartwatches that the parents have got for them so they can track, you know, using GPS, GPS, they can know where their kids are. Mm -hmm. They're saying that a lot of them are sending unencrypted data, in some cases, back to China. Mm -hmm. What that data is used for and uh, the potential for abuse and, and at the very least using the, the knowledge that is gathered about your kids move, movements and, and even recordings of their voices mm. to target advertising and marketing to them mm-hmm. is is not what you want especially yeah. for young kids and and they're really urging parents to sort of say okay well rather than using a device like a smartwatch to track your kids how about you actually know where they are yeah. yourself directly a bit of a stir over in germany about the risks of people having and, and particularly kids having uh devices that are connected to the internet and and those things being used to track them potentially. Finally, some years ago, I think it was back in 2013, over Chelyabinsk in the Urals uh, in sort of Siberia of mm-hmm. Russia, lots of dash cams and, uh, and CCTV cameras recorded a meteor entering the atmosphere, yep. exploding in the upper atmosphere, and it lit up, you know, that you can see the sort of very, very bright light, like brighter than the sun, mm-hmm. moving over, you know, shadows of buildings. And, and uh, I think... It blew out some windows. It did. Well, I, think, yeah. I, th- I think a thousand people were injured mm. by it, and th- lots of windows were blown out by the, uh, the shockwave was the equivalent of several nuclear explosions happening Mm. in the upper atmosphere. Well, a similar, although less spectacular, event happened over Finland. It was actually caught on a... a, Was um, it amateur photographer? Yeah, it was was actually a, um, a place where tourists go to to see the northern lights oh, yes. the aurora yeah. borealis they had a time lapse camera on one of these sort of snow the mountain huts that people go and stay in mm-hmm. so they can watch the aurora this picked up this fireball hurtling some 150 to 200 kilometers above the earth's surface and again that really bright light illuminating the it scene daylight, didn't and, it? Yeah. and you can see it moving as well mm. much brighter than daylight in fact uh, much brighter than the sun is but for a very very brief amount of time they're believing it was a meteorite it could possibly have been a man-made object re-entering mm-hmm. and burning up as it did so. Nevertheless, very spectacular. We'll actually post some links on the show notes of where you can see the, the footage that was picked up on that camera at the at the mountain hut in Finland. Kind of exciting and really gives you a very uh, direct experience of, of what it would be like to see one of these things. Spectacular stuff. Quite a big object, they reckon, caught on film over Finland. John, that's it from me. What do you got? Well, uh, Facebook doesn't really need much of an introduction, but what they tend to do on a regular basis is make changes to um, you know how content is distributed to you or um, how they target you or even some of the functions that you can use. And some users have recently been reporting that the delete post option, which is so when you've you put a personal post up, whether that's to your you know profile or to, your, to the public page, you used to have the option to delete that post. But right. some users have now been saying, well, I can't can't see the delete post option anymore. I can only see the hide from timeline. There are situations where you need to delete a post. For example, I deleted one recently when I actually had shot a gun when I was uh, overseas and it was a controlled environment and, and, and I'd actually put a short video up on the line and then a few hours later there was that terrible shooting in Las Vegas. Hmm. Straight away, I said, well, this doesn't feel appropriate. So I went straight in and deleted that, that post that I'd put up. It appears now that 
when you delete something, it's not really being deleted and it's probably in the case for Facebook all along. It's being stored somewhere and it's being hidden from timeline and Facebook are now just making it so maybe there's a restoration option. Maybe you didn't want to delete that. We'll keep a close eye on that because I don't like the fact that you can't fully delete it, Mm. much like you can't delete your full profile. It Mm. sort of always stays there. Mm. I think though users, there'll be enough users to sort of kick back and say, no, this is not appropriate. We need to be able to delete posts where they're not appropriate or I need to get rid of them for some reason. And there have been examples of people who've, who've put something up there and then suddenly got rid of it and they've been politicians and the like and they've actually been able to use this I think this it's called the Wayback way back When yeah, machine Yeah, recovery type tools Yeah, yeah. The archive that constantly records sort of everything in, in real time yep. and then even if it is deleted it is possible to actually go to these sort of sites and recover that kind of stuff Gen- So Generally bots are watching these public figure accounts mm. and as soon as something goes up for example with Donald Trump there'll be bots that just record every single tweet that goes up yep. because if something is deleted they want to make sure they've captured that that information yep now moving right along ea you know big game creator uh, there uh, or distributor as well mm. they have upset a lot of people with the recent announcement of micropayments in their game star wars battlefront 2 now this was basically a, a post or a, a comment they'd put on reddit they were talking about these micropayments it got a significant amount of downvotes. Now, previously, the most amount of downvotes a post had was around about 24,000. So this is where people, if you like the comment, you upvote it. If you don't like it, you downvote the comment. Right. When EA had posted it about the micropayments and the reason for in-game you know, upsell payments, then the Reddit community came together and they downvoted with over 529,000 downvotes on this particular comment. Mm. So basically what it would mean is that if you were playing this game, you would have certain things locked unless you put in a significant amount of game time or you decided to pay a nominal fee. So in the case of, say, um, Darth Vader, a very popular character, you would have to work, I think, in unlocking all the features over about 40 hours, whereas somebody could come in and then just for a few dollars, they could just unlock that and buy. So there was a lot of people that saw that as an unfair advantage. Why should they be able to pay for it? And I think it was it was a significant amount if you paid for all the unlocking uh, features that EA would make. Now, there was a huge backlash. Obviously, the downvotes that you can I mentioned before from Reddit was one indicator. And the gaming community came together and said, this is not acceptable. We don't like how this is going. We like to buy a game and be able to play it. We don't expect that when we've bought the game, that we then have to rebuy or buy additional add-on packs. Mm. So EA have basically come out and said, okay, we hear you for this release, we won't be doing that. It sort of sounds like they're pausing that uh, micropayments scenario, but they've reserved that right to add that in at a later stage. It's not the trend that I like seeing as games. I'm not a gamer, but I certainly don't from the periphery like seeing where there's all these micropayments that you need to do. I see it in um, the Android games uh, on a regular basis, but if it's going to sort of the regular desktop uh, gaming systems, I don't see that as good for the user. I see that it's good for business, sure, but uh, not for the everyday user who just wants a bit of fun. Yep, fair enough. And now, recently what's been announced by um, Hyosung, they're a South Korean company that basically are a, it's an ATM uh, manufacturer yep. and they are one of the biggest in the world. They distribute these ATMs and then you know banks can you know, sort of rebrand them, if you will, and then mm. use them as their own. Mm. But these are sort of the manufacturer of ATMs 
Well, Hyosung have announced that they're adding in a Bitcoin transaction support. So this is just a software add-on that they've written into the code and they'll make that available as an upgrade. I think it's you know just part of the sort of software upgrade that's available to these machines. It means that users would be easily able to purchase Bitcoin. You can sort of you know, deposit your cash or if you want to sell your Bitcoin the reverse way so you can use your, your phone and the, and the ATM to actually uh, get some money out of the machine. Now, it doesn't mean that every home song ATM will become a Bitcoin ATM. It's something that the bank itself would have to say, yes, we want to do this and we want to turn it on. But the advantage is there because you're adding a whole new customer base and your potential revenue stream. The popularity is there. The, the money is in Bitcoin at this stage. And, uh, and, and another boost for Bitcoin. You know, it, the, the another that, huge boost. Rather than creating a sort of... You know, new companies creating ATMs, you've got existing companies, existing ATMs that are already out there. Modifying all of the thousands and thousands that are out there. Exactly. Mm. So look, I welcome this. Um, We'll see what happens if the banks actually bring this on. I think some are probably running scared and not interested, but those that want to make a bit more money, so probably the smaller banks, for example, the big four in Australia probably Mm. would want to avoid this, Mm. whereas some of the smaller banks I can see jumping right along. Mm. Uh, And just a couple of uh, quick notes. The Google Assistant is helping Pixel 2 users now, this is users who have the sort of the 8.1 developer preview. This is the next version of Android. 8.0 is available on the Pixel 2, but 8.1 is the next iteration. One user actually reported that he asked his phone using Google Assistant, which is like Siri for Apple, mm. to um, you know help diagnose a problem with the phone. And it actually worked through diagnostics in the AI um, version of the app. And it asked about, um, you know, my phone is not charging to 100%. And then, then Google Assistant basically said, well, I can help with your phone's battery. Is it okay if I check a few things? And then ran through a number of checks. Fantastic. It even got to a point where it provided a phone number if you wanted to call support and then could call that. So look, it's just in the preview mode, not available to all phones at this stage, just Pixel 2. But we can see that that's a, a good step forward because, you know, when like, why is my, my phone running so slow? And so it looks like in future iterations of Android that you can say, can diagnose problems with my phone and then it should be able to look through all the different things you know ram and memory and all that sort of stuff fantastic and just finally from me youtube is known for building in algorithms to try and combat you know reposts so if you put a video up and then somebody steals that content and there's a copyright claim or if you put music over your video then there's copyright claims so there's all these different algorithms that have been built in unfortunately though youtube has actually accidentally flagged an official chromebook ad as spam <laughs> so this chromebook is um, made google. by google yeah. and so in you know youtube is owned by google so yeah. they're all part of the same company, themselves. company and they busted themselves so i just thought it was a bit of a funny sort of story that no matter what you're doing um there's some way potentially that the algorithm's just going to go oh you know you're, you're caught up in this system mm. and uh, it happened to be that uh, it flagged the video and was caught up i'm sure that it was fixed shortly after mm. but uh, that certainly was uh, caught the attention of you know many people Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future shows.